All right. We're going to start like this before we tear through the text. Uh, brothers, you just walked in. We're in Acts chapter 4, 32 to 35. So I remember when we were in chapter 2 studying the, the, about the, the, the marks of the healthy church, there was a letter I told you guys that I found um, by Aristides, I believe. But anyway, so Aristides, he's a philosopher in Athens, and he wrote these apolog- this apology to, the, to Caesar or to the emperor. And he wrote this maybe just years after Acts was written. So this guy was there, and he was a philosopher, and he was watching the church. And he was seeing this, and he wrote this whole apology to kind of make sense of what he believes why Christianity is spreading like fire. And so he's writing to the emperor all these letters and describing what he's seeing, what's happening. And as we study through the book of Acts, what, what, I want you to have a camera lens in mind where there's times in Acts 1.8, it's like a big picture. Like you're going to be, um, the spirit of God's going to come upon you. And you're going to be witnessed in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so there's these parts in the narrative where we're seeing the gospel just spreading. And then what Luke does is he zooms in with his camera lens. He zooms in, and you, got, you get to see kind of cl- up close, well, what exactly does that look like? What does that mean? You know, like, oh, they were all one. T- they were all together. They, were, they, they loved each other. They were, they were preaching the gospel. And then Luke zooms in, and you get a better, clearer picture as to what it means or what it looks like. Tonight's text is a real zoom in. We're, like, peeking in the window of the house of these believers this is how they thought. This is how they lived. This is how they acted. They weren't just spiritual. They were very practical. Their spirituality was shown through their practicality. And so we're going to see just really concrete, like this is what the gospel did to people. And so I want to read this letter because um, I finally was able to print it out. It's from Aristides. I'm not going to read the whole thing. He, his, his apology is huge. I think it's like a book. But I'm going to read to you the highlights of in his letter when he's, he's talking about all these various things that's going on. And he's writing to the emperor. And he says, okay, let me talk to you now about the Christians. Okay, I'm going to read it. And this is him watching what we're reading. And I want us to hear what this philosopher in Athens wrote to the emperor. Okay, and then we're going to get into the text. So it reads like this. So he says, <clears throat> okay, now the Christians, O king by going about and seeking, have found the truth. They know and believe in God, the maker of heaven and earth. Sound familiar? That's what um, Peter preached. In whom are all things and um, and from whom are all things. They keep in this hope and expectation of a world to come. So that on this account, they do not commit adultery, nor do they fornicate. They don't bear false, false witnesses. They don't deny deposits nor covet what what is not theirs. They honor their fathers and their mothers. They do good to those who are their neighbors. And those who grieve them, they comfort. They make them their friends. You got to imagine him just writing this out. They do good to their enemies and their wives, O king. They're pure as virgins. Their daughters are modest. Their men abstain from unlawful wedlock and from all impurity. In the hope of this recompense that there's to come another world. He says it again. They persuade others to become Christians for they love that they for um for the love that they have towards them. And when they have become so, they call them without distinction brethren. They do not worship strange gods. They walk in humility and kindness. Falsehood's not found among him. They love each other. 
and from the widows, they do not turn away their countenance. They rescue the orphan from him who does him violence and he who has gives to him who has not without grudging. And when they see the stranger, they bring them in into their dwellings. And if there's among them a man who's poor or needy, we saw that in the text, right? And they have not an abundance of necessities. They fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with the necessary food. They observe um, scrupulously the commandments of their Messiah. They live honestly and soberly. And as the Lord their God commanded them every morning and all hours on account of the goodness of God toward them, they praise And over their food and over their drink, they render him thanks. Such is the ordinance of the law of the Christians, O king. Such is their conduct. He goes on to say so much more about them and how they respond when someone dies. When an infant passes. When an enemy that they call brother now dies. How they honor that body. This guy is so floored by looking at this family. It doesn't make any sense. And he's just going off to the emperor telling them what he sees. This is what we're looking at tonight. There are are certain things I hope us to see. The first thing is this, that the gospel knit these believers together, heart and soul. The gospel knit them together inwardly. The second thing I want us to see is they treasured one another more than their stuff. That's how it was. It was like that. You know, and just a point out, and they sold their properties where they lived there. It was like that. They, they treasured one another more than their stuff. The next thing I want us to see is that with great power, they preached the resurrection. And my pops pointed that out earlier. And here's the last thing, but probably the main thing that I hope for us to catch tonight. It's great grace that overflowed to great generosity. Right? You read the text, you were, if you were really reading it, you was kind of stunned. Because like, wow, how could they be so generous? Or how, like, what happened? But it's the great grace that was upon them that overflowed into great generosity. All right? God, help us as we study. We pray that by the power of your spirit, your word would really minister to us in such a way this evening that we would see the great grace given to us in Christ Jesus. That this would not be a message that is telling people to be more generous, that is telling people to try to give more because the Acts Church gave more. No, but that this would be a message to us that helps us to see, do you see the great grace given you that's upon you? And that this great grace of God in the Son, Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection for our sins, would pour itself out in the way that we are generous with one another. Our resources, our time, our energy. There would, by your spirit, be such a great detachment from this life because we we believe in the resurrection that there would be a great investment in the life to come. As we saw in this letter to the emperor, they had their minds set on a world to come. That was noted. May that be us, we pray. If there are souls in the house who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we pray that by your grace, that would happen. And for those of us who have, 
that by your spirit, you would strengthen us in this faith. Do it now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's pick it up at verse 32. Such a cool text. So now the full number of those who believed. That's key. Who are we talking about? Believers. Believers in what? In who? You tell me. I heard it. Yep, Jesus Christ. What would you say? This Jesus, not just a made-up Jesus, the Jesus of the Scriptures, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who God so loved the world, he sent his son. He lived perfectly. He was sinless. He was fully man, fully God, the only one who could reconcile man and God. And he died. This Jesus, right? Chapters uh, 2 and 3 made it clear that they crucified. But it didn't stop there. God raised him from the dead. These are, uh, this is thousands of people who have believed this gospel, this Jesus. This is who we're speaking about tonight. Not just churchgoers, not just someone who calls himself a Christian. The, the full number of those who believed, check it, were of one heart, one soul. This is what happens when you believe the gospel. With other believers, you're knit together heart and soul. This was the essence of their, their unity. This is what brought them together. This is how when Silas pointed out that observation, the Pharisees probably looked at this, were intimidated, and probably couldn't make sense of it. How can there's such a diverse group of people who were once enemies? You got to remember, they weren't always heart and soul. They were actually from different nations. They had nothing really in common. Some of them in the group probably hated each other before this. But then they heard the gospel. They believed. And something happened. Who was once their enemy is now knit together with them heart and soul. Here's a letter written to the Philippian church by a man who probably at this point in time in the narrative hated this group. Paul writes, because he was an enemy, Later in the chapters in Acts, he's breathing, breathing murderous threats down towards these believers. But this is what he writes after he becomes a Christian. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What unites them? The gospel. This is the unity that we're talking about when it says they, they were one heart and soul. This is the unity that Jesus was praying for in John 17. Let me read you a snippet from it. 17, verse 20 to, 20 to 23, it says, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me. These are the believers. Through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in them. Firm in, um, and I in them. Sorry, I lost my place. That they also may be in us. Now check it. He says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one. 
even as we are one. That's pretty one. The way Jesus and the Father are one, this is how the church is supposed to be one. That's unity. 23, and I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. That's why when this guy Aristides was writing the thing, he's just like, this unity is like something I've never seen before. King, you got to hear about this. This is the type of unity that the gospel created among such a diverse people. Just a word, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking about this practically for me. And I was like, you know, I think of brothers in the house where like, you know, I think of Trevor, me and Trevor, you know, what makes us one in heart and soul is not that we both are surfers. It's not that we were both fathers. It's not that we both have children or that we're both, no, or we both like Hawaii. No, what makes us one is Christ. That's what makes us one. A word to you small groups or a word to those of us who have friendships in the gathering, I would ask you to ask yourself this, is what brings you guys together? What makes you heart and soul? Ask yourself honestly this. Is it the season of life you guys are in? Is it the affinities and the commonalities that you have in mind? Is that what makes you heart and Is it because you're both rooting for the same football team for the Super Bowl? Like, really, think about it. What really causes your fellowships, your friendships, our gathering to be so one? What knits us together? I pray that it's Christ alone. There's nothing wrong with having things in common and being able to share and connect. I love that I can go diving with Kaleo and he likes diving. I like diving. That's cool. But if that's the essence of what you think holds these things together, that's very shallow, very superficial, and that's not... The, the unity that this church had. If, your, if our oneness, if what holds us together is anything but Christ, it's superficial and it's fading. It's shallow. It was the gospel that knit them together, heart and soul. And I pray that it is the gospel that knits us together. It's amazing. That's why I love those of you, if you don't join us on Sunday, join us on Sunday. What I love about Sunday so much is just knowing that I'm showing up to worship with people that are not like me. (laughs) They're not my age. They don't talk like how I talk. They, They don't look like how I look. And that's how it ought to be. That should be a foretaste, a glimpse of heaven. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. This is what's happening in the church. It's the body of believers, the redeemed people. The only thing we really have in common that lasts is Christ. That is something to really be marveled at, guys. And I don't want to rush past this. I pray that our greatest commonality will always be our faith in Christ. Now, we're going to see the results also of what happens when this faith really does take place. It's one thing to say you believe and trust in the gospel. It's a whole other thing to where it really does take hold of your life. You know, James says, you know, once you can say you have faith, 
um, but no deeds. What kind of faith is that? Does that kind of faith save him? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, it's power. Jesus says in Matthew 7, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, they're going to call themselves my follower. But when you look at their lives, if you examine it, if you followed them and you zoomed in on their life and how they lived practically, how they spent their time, spent their money, treated one another, viewed one another, you would really then see if they truly believe this gospel. We're going we're gonna to start to zoom in now. We're going to take a look to see really what happens when these believers are true believers. They were, they were knit together. They, they cared about each other. That's just something to know. They were one. And this is how it fleshed out. So you ask yourself that question when you're reading scripture. I'd say, okay, well, what does that look like? Well, Dr. Luke does a great job. He notes this is what it looked like. So let's take a look together. Big things start to change. It reads on, no one said, go slow, because I'm slow. Let's go slow together. No one said, let go. They did not consider. They did not esteem it. They did not think it. They did not count it. This is not how it looked like in their minds anymore. They didn't say that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Remember, they didn't always think like that. They were just out of the world. They thought like the world. Now that's mine. I bought that house. I earned that property. That's me. I deserve it. It's all mine. Something happened. They believe the gospel. Jesus changed everything. Their, their, their view is different now. They didn't, put, they didn't treasure these earthly possessions anymore. Oh. But they had everything in common. Whoa, what happened? How, how, and we're going to start, we're slow, go slow. We're going to start seeing what it looks like fleshed out. But I want us to see a transformation here. They began to treasure different things. Jesus said in Matthew, where your treasure is, your heart is also. There was a heart transformation when they believed this gospel. All of a sudden, the things in this life didn't seem so attractive anymore. They weren't so attached to their stuff. They cared about different things. They cared about souls. They cared about Christ. They cared about eternity. And it showed in their investments. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 2, it says this. If then you've been raised with Christ. Now think, listen, slow. If, 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 if you've been raised with Christ. Meaning if you believed in him. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. Where's there all their affection going now? Above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. You see how they, they don't, their mindset's different now. Set your minds on things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. Um, I was talking with a brother recently this week, and it was so fun to hear. We just we got lunch. Um, I won't tell you who he is, okay? But I'll tell you what his name starts with. It starts with an M, ends with an Eichel, okay? So me and this brother, we went out to lunch. We were eating, and it was so fun. We were eating Yankee and this and that. And he, we were just talking about life and how things are going. And he was, you know, I, this brother was telling me just how things are going at work. And he said, oh, bro, I got to tell you something. It's super exciting. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And so anyway, he started talking about um, Many things he said was really exciting, but I'll just share one thing. He said uh, their, their boss, his foreman, or I think that's the boss, right? Their foreman. Okay. Um, 
asked them at the beginning of the year, okay, I want you, all, the whole crew got the whole crew together. All right, boys, I want you on this paper, write the top three things. You know, it's a near, new year, new me activity or something like that. New year, new me activity. And he said, okay, I want you to write just the top three things that, you know, this year, mm, it's going to happen. It's going to be, what do you want? What's your desires? What's your aspirations? And so Mike just was like, oh, okay, you know, and he just started to write just off the top of his heart, you know, and, 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 he, and he said he didn't realize it till after they all went around and they had it all read out that all three things that he wrote on the page were spiritual things. I want to be right with God. I'll, I want to maybe be able to be a servant in the church. I want to work on my, uh, on my leadership and be able to be someone that can be an example in the church. And it's so funny because he said it didn't hit him until they were reading everyone's and then they got to Michael's and all the boys was like, huh? You know, it's like, what? What? Be right with God. New year, new, what? You know, and it's, like, it's funny because Mike had that reaction. He's like, huh? You know, like, did I write that? You know, he said recently it was his birthday and he wanted a birthday present. And people were asking him, he's like, oh, I think I want a new Bible. And then he thought about it after. He's like, huh? But that's what happens. That's what happens when Christ comes and takes residence in your heart. Your affections change. Your mindset changes. It's one of the marvelous things I love about the faith. And even just sitting there talking to him, hearing him say that, I was reminiscing my own transformation moments where I was like, when did I just start liking this thing? When did I enjoy reading the Bible? When did I love seeing God change me and get excited to serve and do things like this? Like, when did that happen? It's a mystery. It's a great mystery. All glory be to God. And that's what's happening here in this community, guys. All of them were experiencing that transformation. One heart, one soul. And they decided to, all this stuff that I got, it's not really worth anything anymore. You know what? I'm going to use it to invest in the life to come. They had everything in common. This is not a teaching on communism. This is, they, they were about the, they weren't, it wasn't like all about me anymore. It wasn't this selfish, make money, buy stuff, keep me, me, me. Get as many toys before I die. They didn't care much about the toys anymore. So how can this help everybody else? They were about the common good. They were about others now. They treasured one another more than their stuff. Do you hear that? Ask yourself, is that a reality in our hearts? This is what happens when the gospel really takes place. You care more about the person in your car than your car. You're not thinking as you drive, oh, this is such a waste of gas. No. You care about different things, heavenly things. That's what's happening. Let me give you some verses, then we'll move on. Philippians 1.8, it says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Such a good verse. I pray that that type of affection and yearning would happen in our church. Growing by the day. 1 John 3.10. By this, it's evident who the children of God are. And who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Next chapter, chapter 4. If, you see, uh, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must, 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 must. This, is a, this happens when you truly believe and love God. You must love your brother. You love each other. Even if you have nothing in common, because the, made, the only thing that, that brings us together is Christ. Younger brothers and sisters in the church, do you love other brothers and sisters in the church who are not like you? If you found out they had a need, maybe an elderly senior grandma or grandpa, would your heart tug to do something to help them? Vice versa. There's some people in this place or in our, in our midst that I know, like, bro, when you, when you didn't know where to live, you didn't have a job, like, there was brothers and sisters in the church who just met you, who maybe don't even know you. They were trying to figure out how to help. That is not just because people are cool like that. It's because of Christ. Remember that this attitude that's happening in the group, in the community, it's, it's, it's theirs in Christ Jesus. That's why in, right, when Paul writes in Philippians, this mindset is yours in Christ Jesus. This just doesn't happen. They're not just being cool and generous with each other and having each other's backs now because they're, that's just, they're cool like that. No, they're Christian. Christ changed them. Let's take a little bit more zoom in. Verse 33. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is super noteworthy. Um, now, let's just let's pause and remember this, that verses like this is scattered all through the book of Acts. Let me spit it a little bit. Acts chapter 2, it says this in verse 22 to 24. Men of, men of Israel, hear these words. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Chapter 3, verse 15. You killed the author of life. God raised him from the dead. Chapter 3, verse 26. God raised up his servant. Sent him to you first to bless you by turning you away from your wickedness. Chapter 4, verse 9 to 10. Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Our text tonight, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection. Why am I hammering this? It's so important. Think about it. He's alive. He's alive. The letter that, Eric, that the guy wrote the, the, to, from Athens, to, he, said, he kept saying, they kept seeing like another world. to They were resurrection people. Why was it so easy to give up their earthly temporary stuff? Because they knew. <laughs> when I die, I live. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. Now my life's worth the living because what? He lives. That's why they never compromised preaching the resurrection when they did good deeds. This church was not a church that just fed the homeless, took in the orphans, and helped out the widows, and we wish you well. No, they preached the gospel. The gospel was always accompanied with their ministry to one another and the community. 
That's why you'll see it sprinkled all through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? That you will receive power. You'll be my witnesses. And you will tell them that I live. You'll tell them in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is the same message that is very relevant and needed to be heard now today. Because people are afraid to die. So afraid that they'll stay at home. If what media tells them, don't go out, be safe. We're not afraid to die. That's why they preach with power the resurrection. And so do all of us. We need to do this. We need to believe it first. It needs to become something that's so, such a reality in our hearts and in our souls and in our minds. Remember this. These apostles, when they first heard of the resurrection, when they got the first announcement, it didn't hit home right away. Do you remember that, the Easter story? Mary came, looked. Or they saw the stone rolled away, and their first reaction wasn't, oh, he must be risen. Where'd you put the body? Oh, you know, she's crying. What? Why are you crying? The angel said to her, oh, you know, because they moved the body. I don't know where the body is. And then Jesus was behind her. Why are you crying? And she thought he was a gardener. I just don't know. And then he goes, Mary. And then boom. Mary. Go tell the brothers, I'm going to ascend to the Father. And then the resurrection started to sink in for her. And she goes to the boys. She tells the boys, it doesn't sink in just yet. Right, Thomas? I don't believe. No way. I got to see something. Show me. I got I to put my finger in, in the hole. I, I don't believe that he's alive, that he's resurrected. And Jesus, in grace and mercy and love, he shows up, walks through the walls. Boom. He says, I believe. These are now the apostles. They're taking the same message. They're not changing it. They're not compromising it. They're not trying to win crowds and be people pleasers. They're trying to tell it like it is. We're all sinners. And we're under the wrath of God. It's the reason the world is so chaotic. It's the reason why people are just so lost and hopeless. And there's so much oppression and depression going on in the land. There's so much deception and darkness. But, but, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He came, he lived, he died, he rose. He seats, he's ascended. He's alive. That reality must, must grab our hearts every single day. You wake up in the morning, you start to breathe. And you, you, you run through whatever thoughts you have in your mind, trying to muster courage to just get through the morning, get through another day. No, you know what you ought to do is look up to the heavens and remember this. He's alive and he lives. And if you have your faith in him and you live. We're praying for some sisters tonight. Earlier they were here asking for prayer because they're having a family meeting with their family tonight. Because they, they had another, uh, there was a death in their family recently. It came out of nowhere. And you know what the whole family is, they're getting together. And what, the, what a lot of the conversations that's happening in the households is what happens after this? How do we know that we know that the Bible is real? How do we know that we know that God is God and Jesus is who he says he is? They got to preach resurrection. I pray that we, as a church family, if we decide to, if God, 
if God just starts to create something in our, minute, in our midst where we start to really care about one another and serve one another and the community starts to sense it and feel it and people are being drawn and they have this, what's happening, what's going on? I pray that by God's grace, we would always tell them what's up. We would preach the resurrection with power. With great power, they preach the resurrection. That's all the motivation we ought to need in this life. Let's get to the end of it. And great grace. Gosh, I love that verse. Great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them. And they brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Hear this. See this. Great grace overflowed with great generosity. You see the great grace in 33? The great generosity in 34? It starts with them seeing the great grace that was upon them. What grace are we speaking about? You know it. You got to be saying it in your head. The great grace that was given in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. That slammed them. It struck them in such a way that they overflowed with generosity. Like Sister Megan pointed out, right? They were, it didn't seem like they were doing this under compulsion. They didn't need to hear a bunch of commercials at church to give tithes and offerings. They weren't guilted into being like this. They saw the great grace that was upon them. Do you see the grace of God to you? Do you see it? Christian, ask yourself, do you see the grace of God to you? In Christ Jesus, do you see the great grace? When you sing Amazing Grace, is it familiarity or fire? When you sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, is that with fire in your heart or just familiarity? Because when they sung it, if they sung it, they didn't sing it. <laughs> but they're probably saying something like it. Because that song was written a lot farther down after their time. But they saw the amazing grace. It wasn't just grace. It was great grace. Mega. That's the word. Mega. Kares. Mega. Major. Majority. It takes up all the space in the house. That's what they were drowning in. The grace of God. They knew they were sinners. Like what Sister Mel said earlier, I don't deserve to be here tonight. I don't deserve to sing a song. This was a reality to them. And this great grace, it was twofold. It wasn't, and I'm not saying just as if it's little, but it wasn't only the grace of God to them, but it was the grace, the favor among the people. Chapter 2, they had favor with all the people. I mean, this guy that we read, the letter, I mean, he probably was writing it and just looking on them with admiration. They had favor with God and man. And it was upon them. You have to see God's grace to you. We have to see God's grace to us. Don't hear a message saying, I got to be more generous. I better go sell my house. I better go sell my car and give it to someone in the church who's poor. Or something. Don't hear that. Here, see the grace of God. When you see the grace of God that's given to you, 
and you know what you deserve. Like I think of the grace in my life, it's not hard to, to fall on my face and just be like, oh, how can? How can you be so good to a wretch like me, man? Me. Me. I know me. I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know where I've been. You. Do you know you? And how rebellious and wretched we are. And yet God gifted us his son in love. When you see that grace, you'll see the generosity flow. It won't be a big deal to spot a brother here, help a sister there. Oh, you don't want a job. Oh, let me see what I can do. Oh, you don't have a place to crash tonight. I get space. Come on over. Oh, you need it. Don't, don't walk. Hop in with me. And it's not just you become generous, not just with money, but your time, our conversations with each other. You see the grace of God. It changes everything. Everything. That's why in Luke 7, 47, it's a big verse. He who's been forgiven little loves little, but he who's forgiven much loves much. They saw how much grace God lavished on them. And it wasn't hard to pour out with generosity. I just want to make some notes on this passage. Look at verse 34. So there wasn't a needy person among them. There's a lot of them. There's like thousands of them. So that, that has to mean they were in the business of trying to figure out what people's, where people were at. How they can know the needs without talking. How they going to know the needs without sharing? What happened in this community was that Galatians 6 stuff. They were carrying one another's burdens. How do they know each other's burdens? They asked. You show up at church. What's a good question to ask people is how are you doing? And you don't just do it like cordially and that's just kind of the kind. You know, like when you, oh, how's your day going? Oh, good. You know, no, don't do automated messages to each other. Like you ask and then, especially young men, you ask and you listen. Like, listen, be keen. Take note. They, were, they showed up at the, in the gatherings, and they made note and mention of brothers and sisters in need. They knew who the widows were. They knew who the orphans were. They were concerned about each other. Where did they learn this? That's right. Jesus Christ. I see you mouthing it. Everyone's like, Christ. That's right. Christ. They learned this from Christ. Matthew 9, 35 to 38, when Jesus walked the earth, he said this. He went through the cities and villages, proclaiming the gospel, healing people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, when he walked on the earth, he didn't only proclaim gospel. He, he displayed it. He didn't just declare it. He displayed it by getting on his hands and knees and ministering to people. He saw people hurt and help, helpless. He is moved with compassion. This is the same spirit that's in this church. They find out, they catch wind of a brother and sister hurting in need. They hurt too. And they made sure there was no needy persons among them. That's amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it reads like this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. 
Remember, it's the grace that led, led, the great grace led to great generosity. The grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, this is speaking of a church, over, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. You see the grace from the Lord overflowed in generosity. Verse 3, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly, this is the church, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Like, please let us help. Please, please, please let us contribute. I want to chip in. Please. That's so, what an anointed spirit. And this, not was, and not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that, he, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything in faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. You want to see that you're really a believer, that this love is for real, for real? It's a genuine thing? Just see how look at your checkbook. Don't look at your prayer journal. Look at your checkbook. Or young people, you guys don't write checks. Huh? Go look at your receipts. Check out your receipts. What are you like? How do you spend your money? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The believers are imitating Christ when they give to each other, when they tithe and offer at the church. It's not a, oh man, and then they just throw in the throw it in the bucket or in the plate. They're imitating Christ. You, you became poor so I could be rich in you. I'll give it. I'll gladly give it. That's why later in the letter in chapter 9, it says this, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, not a reluctant giver. That's why I love that um, Megan pointed that out, that they weren't, they didn't lay it down because they felt like they had to. They gladly laid it down. For those of us who are stingy <laughs> and struggling with it, perhaps we're just too attached to this world and this stuff. We forgot resurrection. You forgot you, the, the world to come. Just look back up. Remind yourself this is not where it's at. This is not where to invest all your time, energy, and stuff. Store up treasures in heaven. Invest in eternity. You won't be put to shame. He's worthy. See the grace of God and, let's, and then just see what happens with how you use your time, how you use your stuff. See what happens with how you view each other. Changes everything, you know. For Pao, I have some encouragements for us. If there's, if there's something you see in the narrative in the text tonight, what I really hope and pray you see is that this, 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 this community of generosity that there was 
it, it all flowed from them truly seeing the grace that was given to them in Christ. That is what I pray you, you really see most. That is everything that matters. You know, I'm, I'm not sure where you're at tonight, where the, what the conditions of the hearts are for those of us who are online. And perhaps maybe this is a good indicator to examine to see if Christ is really in you. Like maybe, just be honest, maybe, man, I am just so attached to this life. I stress out because this is where it's all out for me. The thought of even giving offering or tithing or, or just being generous with anyone with my time, it's just not really at the forefront of my mind. Then I'm begging and pleading with you to perhaps see if you've truly believed in the gospel. That's where it begins. That's what's stirring the pot in this church. Once you take out the great grace of God, once you take it out, what we will have quickly in this community is not heart and soul unity. We'll have cliques. We'll have factions. We'll be divided. What we'll have is stingy people in the pews. And we don't have time to ask each other how we're doing. You don't have time to listen to him or her pour out their heart because you got places to be, stuff to do for you. We have to start with seeing the great grace of God and then just see what happens. Changes everything, man. Set yourself up in such a way to not fall from grace, to see his grace. If you're not, if you don't know how, if you, if you, you know, you're a young believer or whatever, um, learn how to spend daily time with the Lord, daily devotion. And I don't want to just call it something and just, it sound very mechanical. Like really, you compromise that, you'll fall out of seeing the grace of God very quick. Learn how to come before God daily and just breathe. And be reminded to preach to your soul the good news of Christ that you don't deserve to wake up this morning. Be attentive to the needs of others in the church. Like, learn. Learn. Ask the Spirit for creativity and practical ways to be practically involved in each other. Invest in one another. Pour yourselves out into each other's lives. Be accustomed to asking people how they're doing. And as you minister, as we minister to our family, friends, our coworkers, remember this, 33, they declared the resurrection, right? They didn't just do good deeds before man. They preached the gospel so that they gave glory to the Father in heaven. We must never forget that. You know, when you come, if you come to church on Sundays, you know, participate in the ordinances. Like, participate in everything that happens. Like, like when you come, when we sing, when we pray, try to really deliberately be engaged because it should always point us back to the grace of God. The Lord's Supper is coming around the corner. That is supposed to remind us, do this in remembrance of me. We want, we want these things to hit our hearts. We want it, we want it to really, really manifest itself. Take advantage of the opportunities when we come to the gatherings to really sit and participate and remember the grace of God. Don't just kind of slip in here and just kind of go on autopilot and just go through the service. Pray for the needs of the church. Ask the Spirit to show you how you can participate. And I'm thinking corporately now. Um, you know, ask, ask the Lord tonight. Maybe go home with your family. Uh, pray with a brother or sister or something. And just like, you know, 
if there's needs in the church. So I was thinking, you know, practical level individually, but now as church, like, what can we do? How can we participate? How can we help? This is, these are the conversations that I think was happening in the book of Acts. Actively engaged and involved, so much so that there was no needy persons among them. How dope is that? How beautiful is that? What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful display of the wisdom of God. And if by God's grace, I know that with Pastor Bob and Johnny, we've been praying and thinking about like outreach opportunities in our community and stuff. Like if, if things like that are on the horizon for our church, pray and be, be sure of it that we will always declare the resurrection of Christ. May we never be a church that just does good stuff and leave out the greatest thing that could ever be done is declaring. Declare the gospel and then display the gospel through our generosity. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. I love your attentiveness. I love, I love just the fire you guys have for the word. Um, before we close in prayer, I do want to say I've been very encouraged, very encouraged this past couple of weeks of just the, the many different conversations I've had with certain people and just so obvious that you guys are growing in faith and it's so encouraging. Um, and so I just want to really keep, keep growing in the word. I keep staring at the grace of God. And so let's pray and we'll be out. Father in heaven, we are so indebted to you. Forgive us for our sins, Lord. Forgive us for our stinginess. Oftentimes we say we believe in the gospel and the grace of God, and yet we live lives that don't show it. It doesn't match. We seem so much more invested in this life. We care more about toys and stuff and accumulating more and more stuff. And Lord, we confess that if that's where our treasure has been, have mercy. We repent. Help us to look above, to set our hearts on things above where Christ is, to set our minds on things above. For when all is said and done and this world burns in judgment, none of that stuff is going to mean anything. It's not going to give us right standing with you. So please, God, by your grace, detach our hearts from the things of this world and set our affections on Christ. Thank you that you are risen, that you're alive. I, we pray that that reality would really sink in day to day, hour to hour, that we serve a risen Savior, that he is alive. He's alive right now. It says in the scriptures that you walk among the lampstands. You're with us. You're in our midst. The Spirit of God, you're with us. You're in us. You're here. May we be a people that responds to the risen Savior. And if we've forgotten, if we've taken our eyes off of you, if we've gotten distracted by this vanity fair, God, have mercy and set our eyes on you again. We pray that by your grace, if you decide to pour out more grace upon our church through resources and, and gifts and skills and members and gifts of people in the church, Lord, if you decide to pour out more of your grace upon us, we pray that it would result in great generosity to one another, and to the community. As, we, as we'll see next week with Joseph or Barnabas, um, we pray that if you bless us, the community gets blessed.
Father, make this a reality in this place. We love you. Keep us in this love, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen.